put up, uh, we're going to read John 1, 1 through 14. I'm going to end at 14. Did you catch that? 14? When we start, I'll tell you when to start. Uh, you may have read in the bulletin at the top that uh, Ryan has resigned from Anchor and stepped down from Anchor. And basic because he's uh, going to pursue a degrees in seminary training and he's going to devote his life to that. So we'll miss him. And uh, you haven't heard the last of him yet, though, because I believe God's going to do great and mighty things through his ministry. My, do- my daughter Kimmy's life. Amen. Bless him, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You know, uh, Peg, is she here today? Is she? You, you, there you are. I remember that sermon. Um, and just, just to, I don't, you know, in the body of Christ, I believe that if you're a preacher and somebody gets something from your sermon and then shares it with somebody else, it's from the Lord. And uh, I've been blessed to have share some things from preachers and have them preach the sermon the next day at a, at a conference. And uh, I didn't originally get it from the... I got it from somebody else, myself anyways, uh, most of the time. And that particular... Actually, you know, it goes from Leviticus 16. And... Um, it's about Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Um, it says in the Bible that Jesus is our atonement, but in the King James, it's interesting because it doesn't use the word atonement, it uses the word propitiation. While in the book of Acts, it'll use the word atonement, but it's not the same word. The, the Yom Kippur is Hebrew, whereas in the if you translate it into the Greek, like the Old Testament was translated into the Greek, it was hilasterion, which is the, the Greek word for propitiation in the New Testament. So when you see that word propitiation, First John, you know that it's the Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. Now, I heard that message from Pat Robertson. And, and he was talking about sprinkling the blood of the mercy seat. Reminded me when he was preaching about it, how the name of the devil and the name of God have two different uh, meanings. Devil, excuse me, the name of the de- devil and Satan are two of the major names used for the devil. There are many other names, but Satan, Satan, and the devil. One of them, one of the meanings of the devil means the false accuser. And um, you'll see, if you know uh, 
in the book of Revelation, it talks about how uh, the accuser of the brethren is cast down to accuse the brethren day and night. And it's talking about the devil. And uh, the other one that named Satan, one of the definitions is the true accuser. And the, the fact of the matter is, uh, we get a lot of accusations against us that are false. And we get a lot of accusations that have truth in them. And I remember hearing stories about uh, Martin Luther who would say, uh, and I might get these mixed up between Wesley and Luther. Uh, one of them would say, the devil would come with an accusation of sin, and he'd say, take that to the east, take that one to the west. You notice it doesn't say north and south. You know why? There's an ending at north and south. Did you know that? There's no ending in east and west. East just keeps going and going and going and going. We're north. You get up, that, that stops. You follow that? So east and west, cast it. And then one of them, I don't remember whether it's Wesley or Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther would say, uh, take that one and throw it in the deepest sea. And, you know, uh, Luther, when he was being, beginning to see the just shall live by faith, he would begin to say uh, at times, uh, you got any more accusations? You got any more? You got any more? And he says, finally the devil just wear himself out. And he'd say, you done? He says, yes. He says, I plead the blood. Take care of that. And that was the blood over the mercy seat was a figure of symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ. And whenever these accusations would come uh, from the, the Ark of the Covenant, which would be screaming out, Israel has sinned, they've done this. Like you said, the blood would say, shut up. So nowadays, if I'm preaching and somebody feels under pressure and conviction and they say, shut up, you'll know where they got it. Just a little side issue. Uh, when I was at Teen Challenge, Eddie Duncan, our chaplain, gave us five confessions to make. And we would make them. And we'd start with Jesus is Lord. That's Romans 10, 9 and 10. Whosoever confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe that God has raised him from the dead, they shall be saved. And uh, one of them was, there's, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear like you said. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but of power of love and sound mind. There is no fear in love, but per- perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people which have set themselves against me round about. You know, Psalm 91 is all about being delivered from fear. 
many other verses. So there's no fear in me. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. He got, he got down, there were five confessions. Sometimes he'd mix them up when he would teach about it. Like one of his favorites, and one of my favorites is in 1 Corinthians. For God, for Jesus has made unto me wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. All four words in one confession. <laughs> and one of the other ones, I'm free. If the Son has made you free, you shall be free indeed. So we would confess when number five would come along and is from, I cast all my care over on him, for he careth for me. Or in Philippians where it says uh, to pray um, without fear, without, it says be careful for nothing. Pray without care, worry. So it says cast all your care, care over on him. Pray, it says, without, uh, be careful for nothing, but instead with prayer and sanct- uh, prayer, let your request be known unto God with thanksgiving. And so he would teach us at Teen Challenge, I don't care. And that was meaning when the enemy tried to lay care on you, your worries, I don't care. Jesus is Lord. I'm free. There's no fear in me. You know, I don't care. And uh, you guys, some of you old timers know this story. There was a guy by the name of Rodney Orbiso at Teen Challenge. And it was unusual that we took him in because we were a residential program which took in students from satellite programs. So before a person could come to the residential program, they had to detox and other things. And so Rodney, though, was the exception. I don't know how he got by. His parents were actually the mayor of one of the nice-sized cities around. It wasn't Los Angeles, but it was one of the... His, his father was a mayor. Maybe that's how he got in. I don't know. But he was uh, not of full, his full faculty. Uh, he was nuts. I mean, made no sense. Voices come out of him. Um, ate like he was 20, 20 other kid students. And one student ate like there was 20 of you. So figure that one out. Um, just eight, 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 eight. Would never stop me. No, it wasn't heavy or anything. And uh, he was he was crazy. We had to have a counselor with him twenty four seven. One time, uh, Tom Miller was his counselor, and he shook his counselor. In other words, he got. So Tom was looking all over for him. And somebody says, I saw Rodney out at, in the park. He's got a shovel. He's burying something. It was Tom Miller's lamps and things that he had in his room. He had taken it out to the park and he had dug a hole and he was burying Tom Miller's belongings because Rodney slept in the same room that Tom Miller slept in. He was 
So that just give you some idea of how crazy he was, right? Made no sense. Made no sense whatsoever. And I remember one time we cast demons out of him. And there was uh, like 60 guys with their hands on one guy. And right in the middle of his chest was this, uh, was our cook who was about 300 pound guy. And he had his hands on his chest, straddling his body. And Rodney raised up, raised us all up. And we're like, and you should have seen David Gaspar's face when he goes. And so then uh, Tom Miller would get Rodney to say these confessions. Now, it would sound disrespectful and sacrilegious and, uh, to you because of the way he said them. But he got him. And then he started having him confess that Jesus Christ was Lord. And Rodney began to change. It was just a, like a watching a miracle. After we prayed for him and after he started making these confessions, he began to change before our very eyes. And, but he still ate weird. You could, he could talk, you'd understand him and everything. Then one day, we had a water baptism. And Rodney, we couldn't find him, but we, they'd baptized about 30 guys in the pool. All of a sudden, Rodney comes running out the side of the dormitory, runs over, dives in the pool, swims underwater, comes up between the two guys that were baptizing people. That would be Eddie Duncan and Ken Embry. And he goes, da-da! And uh, there was about a hundred people there watching this baptism. Dead silent. Nobody left. We were not happy. Eddie Duncan was not happy. And Eddie looked at Rodney and says, I'm not going to baptize you, Rodney. So he says, why? He says, because you just made a mockery of a very sacred event. So Rodney, uh, suddenly this, the spirit came over him and he was like, oh, please forgive me. Forgive me. I, I didn't mean to do that. He says, so he said, will you baptize me? And he says, there was a dead silence for a long time. And then Eddie was praying. He says, okay, we'll baptize him. Baptized him. He left the pool. Rodney went up to the dormitory and he's walking down the hall. His parents show up to visit. It's on a Saturday. And we could have visitors. And Rodney's walking down the hall and he sees his parents and they just walked right by him. They did not recognize him. He looked so different. And, did, and he started eating normal, too. It was very strange. But we would confess that Jesus is Lord. I'm free. There's no fear in me. Uh, God has made unto me, Jesus, made unto Jesus wisdom. I'm made unto Jesus wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And I don't care. 
because I've cast all my care from him. So we went to this nice sized service where this guy with a guitar was playing and singing. It was a special service. Beautiful service. He was worshiping the Lord. And uh, he encouraged people to say things like God is whatever they, he is to them, you know. And people were saying, Jesus is my life. Jesus is my, you know, just naming off all these beautiful things. And, uh, of course, we have, at this time, I think it was about 60, 70 guys there packed in from Teen Challenge. And all of a sudden, Rodney says, Jesus is Lord. And I go, oh, no, this is not going to be good. (laughs) And he goes on down. One of the confessions, God is my father. Or shepherd, I shall not want. I knew what was coming, and it came. And he says, this guy, somebody says, Jesus is this, Jesus is that. And Rodney shouted, I don't care. And, uh, of course, all the Teen Challenge people made it worse by just busting out laughing. And uh, nobody else thought it was funny, though. I didn't think it was funny. I was ready to grab him and help him out the door because I was the dean of men, (laughs) you know. Didn't like that too much. But confessions and baptism, it's symbolic, but it has a great meaning in your life. If you've never been water baptized, it's beautiful. Amen. Amen. Put up John chapter 1, and I'm going to stop at 14, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made. Say all things were made. All things were made by him and through him and without him, nothing was, not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Some translation says the darkness could not extinguish it. I kind of think there's meaning in both. Comprehended. Darkness just don't get it. Just didn't get it. There was a man sent from John whose name was, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light, of the light, that all men, all men, say all men, through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man. The light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. Just leave this one up for a minute. He was in the world. And the world was made by him. 
and the world did not know him. I want you to think about that. I remember Ryan was preaching a sermon one time, and I don't know why I just never got the picture of this before. It was an Easter Sunday sermon. And um, he was going over the crucifixion. And he was talking about Jesus when he was beat with a whip. And um, if you just think about it, the whip that is whipping him, you know, and it had the barbs in it and the, uh, the various things that would just rip at you. When um, was Jim Caviezel, is that his name? Jim Caviezel did the Passion. They put a steel plating over his back and then they made it look like there was flesh and it was being beat. And one of the barbs went around and caught him on the side there. And he says, I had never been in so much pain in all his life. It's like he just couldn't believe how much pain that was. That was just one barb. And most of them didn't live through just the blood loss alone. And uh, the Roman soldiers are scourging him. And just think about this first that just was, Jesus made that whip that's whipping it. Jesus made that soldier, that Roman soldier that was beating him. That was which made by him was beating him. I don't know, I could just like... He was in the world and the world was made by him, but the world did not know him. Next verse. He came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as, and leave this verse up in a minute, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power uh, a lot of translations says the right, like you, your rights, like the Bill of Rights, the right to. That's not a very good translation. That word power is the Greek word exousia, which means like authority. So right is okay, but authority is better. Gave the, he the power, the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Like I said, leave this up. I was watching a movie just a couple of days ago. True movie about this guy that wrote for the Chicago Tribune. You guys may know this story. I don't know. I'm surprised that um, I know Pastor Moran says, oh, yeah, I know all about that. I'm like, really? It's the first time I heard this. Maybe you've already heard it. This guy is a reporter and writes articles for the Chicago Tribune. And uh, he's out for dinner with his wife. I'm thinking this is in the 70s, especially because of the way they were dressed in the hair. And uh, his daughter, who's about 10 years old, 
get something caught in her throat. You know this story? And so they're screaming for, is there a doctor? Is there a doctor? And their nurse came over and did what nurses do. I don't think they did the Heimlich in those days. But not dislodged it and saved. Now this reporter was a devoted, devout atheist. You know, I mean, almost angry at believers. And so what happens is... is uh, when this miracle, this, it's not necessarily a miracle, but the gal says, I knew something was going to happen. The gal, the nurse. And she says, because uh, my husband and I were going to go out to the restaurant. And I said, I think we're supposed to go to this restaurant here because uh, I think God wants us to go to the other one. So she did. They go to the other one, the one where... She did the miracle, you know, to dislodge the thing. So she's telling the atheist and his wife this. Of course, he's like rolling his eyes all the way back in his head. And the wife gets interested and starts going, going to both thank her and visit her at the hospital where she worked. So the gal invites his wife the wife to church and they go to church and uh, she's getting more and more interested and finally she she prays and receives the Lord you know well the uh, husband did not think that was a very good idea was very 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 angry then when she got baptized, he's still angry, and he's like... Then some of his reporter friends said, what you ought to do is do some investigative reporting on things that are written in documentations and prove to her that Jesus could not have been raised from the dead. Matter of fact, prove to her that maybe Jesus didn't even die that day, because in the Quran it says Judas was the one that was crucified. So he goes, he starts going and investigating, investigating, and he comes to this as a, there's no question about it. Jesus was alive. The information is overwhelming. More proof of that than there just about is anything else in history. And that he was raised from the dead. And he goes over and he gets all this information. Like I said, true story. You guys may have already heard about this. Ended up writing a, a book. But first, after he gets it all together, he sits sitting on the couch with her, and she, he says, I, uh, Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is the Christ, you know, is the Messiah. And the evidence is overwhelming. Well, who am I to argue with evidence, you know? And so... Uh, and he's kind of crying there, and he says, what do I, what, where do I go from here? She quotes this verse, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Um, some translations say children of God. And she says, here's what you do. Belief plus received plus receive." Equals become. 
I don't know, never, never quite put that together. Faith, believing, plus receiving, produces become. And that's what, uh, and he prayed and he believed and he received Christ as his Lord and his Savior and confessed him to be his Lord and everything else and went to his uh, paper, said he'll want to write an article, some articles about it. He said, no way. So he ended up, she said, why don't you write a book? And he got baptized, he got saved, ended up becoming pastor of that church and writing like something like 20-something books. And his daughter, a little 10-year-old, ends up becoming, writing many, many books herself. And what really touched her the most is how much he changed when he became a believer. But I thought that was pretty cool. I don't know, I've not quite, never quite thought of that. Believing plus receiving equals becoming. What are we becoming, though? That's, is that gospel? One of my favorite verses for the gospel is in, well, the perfect definition is 1 Corinthians 15. It says that Jesus was crucified, died for our sins, was buried, and was raised again the third day and ascended into heaven. And he, they say that is the gospel. That's the gospel. One of my favorite good news scriptures is this one. I want you to hear this for the first time because I actually was hearing it for the first time. In myself. And I know this scripture I've quoted hundreds of times. And you'd be like, yeah, we know. 2 Timothy 1.9 what you, did, what you also need to know that 2 Timothy 1, 1 starts talking about the gift, a gift of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. And he's talking about Timothy. Paul's talking about, says, you know, the, stir up the gift that is within you. And then he goes on and he says, 1 9. How God. It starts he, but the verse before it's talking about God. It says how he called us, he saved us, and called us, past tense. He saved us and called us with a holy calling. And uh, not according to our works. One of my favorite things about the gospel. Not according to our works, because... If you think you're going to get to heaven because your works, you are going to be shocked. (laughs) Not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us before the world began. Purpose and grace, which was given to us before the world began. I don't know. No matter how many times I think about that, it's hard to wrap your mind around it. I was in Christ when he was crucified, but I was also in Christ before the world was even created. Well, that's what Psalm 139 says. uh, Psalmist says, 
before I was yet born, my members were yet written in your book. So, you know, uh, the, the verse of Scripture, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. I knew you. God knew you. Before, not only, it was way before, way before. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before. We see that before and we think, well, whatever, but we're what? Well, if you take the other scriptures, before the world began, we are his workmanship created. You were created in Christ Jesus written the members written in the book before the world was created wow it's it's just and so you know and we are saved and called that word called is like paraclesis and you one time bob said it's like the church and that's it that's one of the church clesis ecclesis means called out the church we are saved and called and then for his purpose. And I've recently changed my mind. I've changed my mind about a couple of things. I think that the gospel is the good news. Jesus died for our sins and we've been called and we've been saved and called before the foundation of the world. That's the good news. But I have a different, a little slant on it recently, a different conclusion. And it all started in Matthew 22, verse 37, where it says, where Jesus says, where the lawyer says, which is the first commandment? He says, the first of all commandments is the um, Lord thy God is one Lord. That's what it says in Deuteronomy. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy strength and there's a slew of other words that are used with all thy soul with all and so comprised the suke comprise your emotions your will your desire your you know it's it, it it's everything about you your entire essence is what god wants us to love him with and it's agape love and always thought well agape love isn't a feeling Phileo love, that's a feeling. Eros love, that's the romantic love, that's a feeling. But always, I think I read last week, I said, where God loved us, where God so loved the world, agape love, it's by deliberate choice, not for any assignable cause in the objects. But we are to love him with that same love. And it's like, in in the same respect, the object is very lovable, but it's still a, a, a choice by, that we make. And I talked about this last week where it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind. With all thy... I think as a Christian, it seems pretty impossible. But then it literally was impossible. Couldn't, you couldn't do it. Jesus is telling me they couldn't do it. Why is that? What are they saying? Well, first he, he goes on to say, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. 
and he says, all of the law of God, everything in the law of God is resting on these two verses, these two statements. It all rests on loving the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, strength, and so on. One of them is emotions. So it's going to be, do you know there's one place where we're warned to, that, that if we don't love God with our emotions, we're going to be in big trouble. Do you know what place that is? It's one time in the Bible. It's in 1 Corinthians 16.22. And it says this, Paul says this, And I pray that everyone that doesn't love Jesus Christ at his coming, may they be Maranatha Anathema. Maranatha is at his coming. Anathema means cursed. And that word is not agape. It is phileo. I said, how could that be? Well, for starters, agape gets it all. Agape isn't just, you know, the love that God loves deliberately because of deliberate choice, not because of its object or anything like that. But, but it's also God loves you with a romantic love. He loves in agape love contains eros. I mean, every believer I've ever known believes that Song of Solomon is symbolic of the bride and, and, and Christ, Christ and his bride, which is the church. And that's all about Eros love. Matter of fact, when the Bible was translated into Greek, that was the Greek word for the love that's in Song of Solomon, Eros. It has, you know, there's one reason... It, I don't want to get started on evolution because I think it, that's one of the biggest people have just really drank the Kool-Aid on that doctrine, on that belief, if you call it that. But Eros love used to be a beautiful love. It was the love of a husband and his bride. And there, 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 there's so many, you've got to read this with the idea that it's not just talking about a husband and a bride. It's talking about Christ in the church. And it's, it's got things like, I'm giddy with the love. I'm sick with love. I'm lovesick. God is lovesick with you. He's, in, he's giddy with love over you. There's a song where it says the, the, the bride's inside the whatever and the groom is jumping up and down over the wall and woo, you know. You get a picture of how much God loves us with Eros love. And he loves us with phileo love, but he loves us with agape love. Well, why did I, let's go back to this verse of scripture. I just said in 2 Timothy 1 that it was talking about the gift that he got by the laying on of hands, Timothy from Paul. Stir up the gift that is within you. And he goes on and on. It's certainly talking about that. But here's the deal, see. The gifts of God. 
There's a scripture, you reminded me of it, and I don't know that you were quoting it, but it's the same thing, quoting these scriptures. It says all these wonderful things that God is doing and has done for us through Christ. And in Romans 8, 31, it says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? God is for you. And nobody, nothing can be against you. Say, if God be for me, who can be against me? It's a rhetorical question. It means nobody. Like the question, who is like unto God? Nobody. But you know what the next verse says there? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The next verse says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Wow. There's a verse in James that says something very similar. It says, after all, of his own will begat you. Why wouldn't you think that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights? Why wouldn't you think this? Another verse that makes me, I was just looking up recently. But I want to give a little foundation first Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mountain chapter 7 he says I he says uh, ask and you shall receive seeking you shall find knock and the door shall be open unto you for everyone that asketh receiveth and everyone that seeks finds and everyone that knocks it shall be opened then he goes on what man of you if your son asks for a stone I mean for a bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a serpent? If you, which are evil, know how to give good things to their children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give to them that ask of them? Now what's coming next is just mind-blowing. Because he says, straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life. And few there be that find it. Broad is the way. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there be go in thereat. Now, (laughs) I want to put some things here together. Like, let's go back to that 2 Timothy 1, 9. He saved us and he called us. Of course, calling. You know, he's talking about the gift that is in him by the laying on of hands. A calling of God. And then when it says purpose of God, God has a purpose for your life. God wrote a book, A Purpose Driven Life, and it just like was a huge, huge, gigantic uh, seller. I'm going to give you a different perspective, though. 
I'm going to say that the gospel sounds like an ending or the ultimate achievement in Christ. It's his achievement, but you're achieving it. Now, what am I saying here? I'm saying, you think the gospel, the end of it is, is we're saved. He that spared not his own son, we're saved. Hallelujah. I'm saved. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And recently, though, I've been seeing something. The lawyer comes to Jesus, says, what's the first of all commandments? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. With all thy mind, with all thy soul. And I saw something, especially when you go to Galatians 3, verse 24 and 25, where it says the law was a schoolmaster. That's why it says in King James. Other translations says tutor. But that's not, neither one of them. If you look them up, you can do a little study on that word. It's, it was for a, 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 an older boy that would take the younger boy and escort him to school. He didn't, wasn't a tutor. He wasn't a teacher. He just took the boy to the school. Walked him to school, basically. And Paul says the law was this boy that took us to school. And you know what the school is? It's Jesus. So when Jesus is saying this is the first commandment, the second is like namely this, and that the whole law rests upon this, he knew he was telling them something that they could not do out of their own ability. But at the same time, the law was leading to the cross of Christ. So here's the deal. I'm just going to sum it up. This is what I believe. Take the gifts, or he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for his all house, shall he not freely give us all things, the gifts. That's not the end, end of it either. The end of it, or the, or the thing that consummates the whole thing, is that Jesus, that the law, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, is the tutor that's bringing you to the cross of Christ, and that through Christ, for the first time ever, you can actually love God with all your heart, with all your mind, body, soul, and spirit. Now here's the deal, okay? We're thinking, God's saving me and receive or faith, believe, receive equals become. It's the become part. The become part that we failed in. We think, well, I'm saved. You know, I got my fire insurance paid up. But straight is the way that, and straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. And you know what that means? That 
the end result, what God is wanting, what his will is, his will isn't just to get us saved. I am not putting that down in any way. I'm just saying it's much, even much greater. And what's the greater is to love the Lord thy God. That is the gospel. I can now love God with all my heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. I can do that through Christ. That's the good news. The bad news was in the laws. Nobody could do that. That's what Paul says. Nobody could do that. But the good news is through the gospel. the, The good news, the gospel is that now God has through Christ, through his death, burial, resurrection, has made me to where I am worthy enough to love God with everything I've got. Now that's the end game. That's where we're headed. Hello? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. You saved us. And you called us. What did you call us to? To be lovers. To love you with everything that's in us. That you have done a work in us. And you desire. You are hungry. You desire people who love you with all their heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Strength, emotions, intellect, thoughts. Everything, Lord, given to you. That is where it's, that's where it is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.